It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This is A to Z with Mark Zinno, part of Locked On Sports Atlanta, and it starts now. Good afternoon. Welcome to A to Z here on Locked On Sports Atlanta, where today I tell you, first, I wasn't surprised, then I was. Welcome in. We are live here on this Wednesday, getting you set for a football weekend in college. We are getting ever so close to week one. We'll get into Georgia and Oregon coming up as well. Some interesting salary cap positionings and position spending that I think are of note going forward. We'll discuss that coming up on the show, but we need to start Today with the Atlanta Falcons and the Atlanta Braves. First, the Falcons, the part that I wasn't surprised at when they cut down to their 53-man roster and now put together this team that at least is going to go out there in week one and go try and win uh, as many football games as they feasibly can, right? Uh, And there weren't really too many, you know, again, surprises. Like, I wasn't surprised at the roster the way it went down. I think everything kind of settled in the way most of us thought it would I guess some people were a little bit surprised that Jared Bernhardt, the uh, former lacrosse player, made the team. You know, and again, I was personally surprised that Auden Tate isn't here. That to me was a little bit uh, shocking given what they wanted to do. I guess they felt like they had enough size with Kyle Pitts, with Drake London, with Brian Edwards, that they didn't necessarily need another big guy out on the field. So I, again, I don't think anything was really shocking about the roster and what went down, I guess, on, on the defensive side, uh, linebacker Nick Kwiatkowski, is that how you say it? Kwiatkowski? Kwiatkowski? Whatever, you know what we're talking about. Not, not, not going to work here anymore. Um, he was somebody else I thought many folks thought would make the roster but didn't. Um, and this was a, a guy who was supposed to be here to supplant linebacker depth and, you know, give him some, I guess, backup for Deion Jones. And maybe the only reason he was brought here was because they thought Deion Jones wasn't going to be an option for the 53-man roster when it was all said and done. And guess what? Deion Jones is an option. <laughs> uh, he is on the team. We've talked about this earlier this week and, and pretty much for the last couple of weeks. I, I don't see a reason to give him a roster spot, but they did. And this is where this team is right now. So um, they're, they're going to pick these 53 guys. And guess what? Folks, the roster is going to change. It's going to constantly be fluid throughout the entire year. And this is a situation where uh, there's next to no chance any NFL roster looks exactly like it did at the very start of the season as it does at the end. But that said, I think this is one that could have a lot more turnover as Terry Fontenot has to continually find guys for this team um, to fill in holes in, in areas where the talent isn't as good as others. So I think that's something that's going to consistently be a theme throughout the rest of the year. One other note, um, even though they both made the roster as far as Matt Hennessy and Drew Dahlman is concerned, Arthur Smith says that he hasn't chosen a starter yet. Uh, I kind of find that laughable. Yes, you have. Uh, you know exactly who's going to be your starter and who's not. He's not going to tell the media that. He's not going to um, tip his hand in that scenario, which I get and I'm fine with. I don't, I don't think there's an issue with holding that information to the vest a little bit longer. But, you know, I'd be shocked if he truly doesn't know who his starter is at this point in time. Like to me, it's like, come on, you have to have your one set. 
you want to have some arguments about, you know, who is second best and who is third best and everything else, I, you know, I suppose you can uh, and still look at some more things in camp, but you know who your ones are. You got 10 days before you play your first game. You know who your ones are. Well, 11, sorry. So uh, I, I, I'm pretty confident that Arthur Smith knows who the center is going to be. When will we know? Who knows? Uh, before we get to the Atlanta Braves, I want to remind you guys to check out betonline.net. It's the fastest and easiest way to check in on all your betting needs. Find your favorite sports and events at the number one source for odds, lines, and games. Uh, if you're looking for odds on the Falcons and the New Orleans Saints week one, Falcons getting four and a half. Very interesting trend on week one divisional games. Take the Falcons, folks. That's not a fanboy thing. You know me. Find reviews and news of every league, including Major League Baseball, NFL, NHL, NBA, combat sports, eSports, and even golf. BetOnline continues to be the top online resource for all your sports wagering information. From live in-game betting, scores, podcasts, they've got you covered. Head to BetOnline today or use your mobile device to learn more about the action happening today. BetOnline, where the game starts. Okay. Uh, the game started last night for the Braves uh, after a small little rain spat. Uh, and they end up losing three to two. And it is always surprising to see Max Freed beaten. Uh, it's more surprising to see Max Freed outdueled. Uh, it's most surprising to see it be by Jose Urania uh, and the Colorado Rockies. So it was not a good night offensively for the Braves. Could not get that big hit. Uh, and they end up losing a game three to two to a team that they sort of should have really beaten. And they got the exact help and the exact favor they needed from the Dodgers who beat the Mets 4-3. to And lo and behold, as I sat here leading up to this series for the last two weeks telling you, well, this is the spot where the Braves can go beat up the Rockies and the Dodgers can take care of the Mets. And while the Dodgers did their part, the Braves did not. Braves pitching gave up 11 hits last night. That was bad. That's felt so bad. There was a lot of hits going around. Um, pretty characteristically uncommon for this Braves team. But still – they end up uh, not being able to take advantage, and they lose 3-2. to two. In the bigger picture, again, we're still hearing this thing I talked about earlier in the week. Ronald Acuna sat out again with his knee. They're saying it's getting better, at least according to uh, Gabriel Burns of the AJC. As he wrote it up, it's getting better. It's getting better. He's, manager Brian Snitker says he's getting better. Uh, get better fast, Ronald, please, for all of us. I mean, at this point in time, I don't know. Uh, how comfortable I feel with this situation developing. We talked to Grant McCauley yesterday, our Braves postcast from the Diamond Podcast. I mean, yeah, he's going to be okay, but I, I don't know how you go from pretty intense pain to just getting better. I mean, that, that doesn't sound like somebody who's ready to play every day at this point in time in the middle of a stretch run uh, to try and win the division. This could be problematic for this team. Now, in the big picture, uh, about last night, you know, losing to the Rockies is not the worst thing in the world. It happens. I mean, the Braves have been very good against teams above 500. In fact, I think they were going into last night 29 games, not 28 games, over 500 against teams with losing records. So that speaks to how good they've been. You drop one here or there, it happens. It's just timing is inopportune. Again, as you're middle in the middle of the stretch run, the postseason run, uh, and you do it against a team that you shouldn't end, Again, you get the timing of the Mets taking care of business or the Dodgers taking care of business over the Mets. And lo and behold, it stings a little bit extra. Braves have now lost three in a row. Probably feels like they need to get right tonight. Uh, and that's, I guess, a good pun because Kyle Wright is starting tonight. And he's the guy that needs to get them right sooner rather than later. 
um, they drop two to the Rockies and it's going, it's going to feel like panic mode. Um, especially if the Mets end up beating the, the, the Dodgers, you're getting the exact opposite effect of what you wanted out of this series. Uh, and that, you know, is a spot again, where you need to be within striking distance. Uh, the, the best chance you're going to have after this series is beating the Mets straight up. But that means you only have six games left in the season when they start that series. So, uh, you're going to be asking for help unless you're a game out. So anyway, um, this is where the Braves are. Again, I'm not panicking. They're going to be fine. But it was one of those losses last night that stings a little bit extra that makes it really, really difficult to turn the page given the fact that the Mets lost and you had a real opportunity against a team and a starter that, you know, frankly, you should have beaten. All right, coming up next, uh, there are some interesting ways to look at the salary cap and positional spending. We'll see where the Falcons fall in, comparatively speaking, to other teams that are at least poised to make the postseason. That's coming up next right here on A to Z on Locked On Sports Atlanta, free on YouTube, and wherever you get your podcast, search Locked On Sports Atlanta. Welcome back to A to Z here on Locked On Sports Atlanta, free on YouTube, and wherever you get your podcast, search Locked On Sports Atlanta. Check out all the shows we got on the Locked On Sports Atlanta network. Uh, this is A to Z. As you know, we have Hitting Hard with John Chuckery, ATL Day Ones with Jarvis Davis, and Tanisha Batiste, our Braves postcast after every Braves game, of course. Locked On Falcons with Eric Freeman, Locked On Hawks with Brad Rowland. And uh, just a great crew, and we appreciate all the support. Uh, make sure you subscribe to the YouTube channel. Give that thumbs up to all the content there. Uh, we are approaching 3,000 subscribers. Guys, I've only been at this for like four months. It's, you know, it's been amazing to, uh, to be on this journey with you, so we appreciate all the love and support. Keep it up. Uh, we certainly will keep putting out some great content for you guys every single day. All right. Uh, I am a cap nerd. I'm an NFL salary cap nerd. Like I, I, it's, I am curious about how teams go about spending on their cap. I, I look at, and I've made the argument often, that certain moves I think are derelict when it comes to cap space. But that, for me, that was part of the reason that I, I said get rid of Ryan, Matt Ryan, for the last three years. Because it was time to move on. The contract was prohibitive from a cap standpoint. And you were walking down a road that was a dead end. And everybody knew it. Or at least I felt like everybody knew it. And yet, nobody did anything about it. Okay, well, that all said, you know, I find it interesting to look at the cap and look at how teams spend their cap and what sort of it nets from a results standpoint. And so looking at now that the 53-man rosters are set, um, you can look at what teams have spent and where they put their money and how they spent their money and what it may translate into. So, for example, I find this interesting. When you talk about the cap leaders, okay, the five teams that have maximized their cap the most – Basically meaning that they have the least amount of dead cap space. That of the entire cap of 200 and whatever it is, 205 million, somewhere in that range, uh, that they are the teams that have maximized the most of the cap. The Jets are at the top. The Chargers are second. The Chiefs are third. The Jaguars are fourth. And the Colts are fifth. Now, don't confuse this to mean that these teams have the least amount of cap space. That's not true. Coincidentally, the Jets do have the least amount of cap space, and the Chiefs are near the bottom of the league in cap space. But teams like the Chargers, uh, who only have $3.9 million dead, they still have $12 million left against the cap, despite the fact that they have spent $197 million on the cap. Right? Like, does that make sense? So they have, because you only count the top 51 against your cap space, you have some flexibility to play with. And again, there's a longer discussion there, but nonetheless – uh, those are the teams that have maximized the cap space. Obviously, the Falcons will be at the bottom of that list. 
having the most dead cap space at 64.64 million. What's interesting to note, and you probably didn't know this, there are three teams this year that have at least $60 million in dead cap space. And that is sort of crazy to think uh, because the Falcons have an NFL record, 64 million dead cap. The Texans have 63 million. The Bears have 61 million. And even at the Eagles with 58 million and the Seahawks at 49 million and the Raiders are 45 million, it's like, whoa, that is a ton of dead cap money. Um, you are talking percentage wise about like, hey, you know, you're giving up a lot of uh, uh, space there. And so that to me, I, I think is really telling um, when you look at it of how much they have wasted on their cap space. And yet those teams are all going to be, you know, expected to be at the bottom of the league. But, you know, again, the Raiders um, would be a team that I think is going to be very good this year. Uh, and the Eagles are a team that may make the playoffs this year. And they have a ton of dead cap space. So there's that. Now, um, I want to look more by position and see what it translates to. And we'll do that in a second. First, I work with my friends at Coffee AM, the best small batch coffee roaster in America. Guys, I tell you about them every day. They are amazing. The coffee is fantastic. It smells great. It tastes amazing. You order a box of Coffee AM when it gets to your house, you're going to open it up. It's going to change your world because the coffee is freaking delicious. And you get it from all over the world, Sumatra, Kenya, uh, Costa Rica, Colombia, rainforest flavors. These are blends that are so unique and so tasty. You have to try them out. Coffee AM only roasts organic, fair trade, direct trade, uh, expertly crafted blends and espressos. They also are super fresh because they roast them and ship them on the exact same day or very close to it. That's why they're the best small batch coffee roaster in America. What do you do? You go to coffeeam.com backslash locked on today and take a full look at their menus of coffees, teas, and gift sets. Again, that's coffeeam.com backslash locked on. Use the promo code locked on at checkout. You'll get 15% off your first order, coffees, teas, and gift sets, and a whole lot more. Coffee AM, the best small batch coffee roaster in America. All right, uh, let's look at some positional spending here because I think this is very telling. Let's just look generally on the offensive side of the ball. The team that has spent the most on the offense is the Washington Commanders, okay? And I, I thought it was interesting just from a standpoint of when you look at how much they put on the offense. Yeah, uh, I, I for a team. And some of that comes from the quarterback. Um, they are third in the quarterback room. Uh, and, and the team that's number one, <clears throat> excuse me, in the quarterback room is the Kansas City Chiefs, obviously because of Patrick Mahomes. But the top five quarterback teams, Kansas City, Tennessee, Washington, Minnesota, Detroit. Jared, Jared Goff's got a big contract. Uh, we know that's why Detroit is up there. Kirk Cousins obviously has a huge contract. Uh, Carson Wentz got a big deal. And Ryan Tannehill got a decent decent sized deal uh, as well. So uh, of those teams that are spending high-level quarterback dollars, Kansas City likely make the playoffs. Tennessee's got a great shot to make the playoffs. I think Minnesota makes the playoffs. Green Bay, Denver, Carolina, and the Ravens all round out the top 10. Green Bay will make the playoffs. I think Denver makes the playoffs. Uh, and the Ravens do as well. And how the Ravens have that much against the cap on the quarterback is simply because Lamar Jackson is in his fifth and final year of his rookie deal where all of that money counts against the cap because it's all salary. There, there's no bonus money to spread out. So um, I, I think that's interesting. Let's look at real quick some of the other positions on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, running backs. The team that spends the most on running backs this year is the Dallas Cowboys. 
Titans are second, Vikings are third, Bengals are fourth, Dolphins are fifth. Browns are sixth, Panthers, Seahawks, Saints all round out the top ten. Now, here's what's interesting. And if you look back at last year, spend a lot of money on running backs, theoretically. You are going to be running the ball a lot because that's your best player. Top five teams in rushing last year, Philadelphia, Indianapolis, Baltimore, Cleveland, and Tennessee. What do those teams all have in common? Uh, Ravens would have made the playoffs had they not had injuries, but those other four teams were all playoff teams. Rounding up top 10, Buffalo playoff team, San Francisco playoff team, New England playoff team, Dallas playoff team, Arizona playoff team. Run the ball well, you're going to go to the playoffs. That's part of the recipe for success in the NFL. Now, of these teams that are the highest running back teams, Cowboys, Titans, Vikings, Bengals, Dolphins, Browns, Panthers, Seahawks, Saints, Chargers. I think Seahawks, Saints, Chargers all miss the playoffs. Carolina probably misses the playoffs. But the top six all feel like good, good chances to make the postseason. And that, again, is, is not always 100% indicative, but at least it's a start. Wide receivers. The highest wide receiver cap room in the league is, look at this, folks, the New England Patriots. Yeah, they spent a ton on their wide receivers this year. Um, and it is crazy to think that that team, and they, well, let me say, they put pass catchers in there because it includes tight ends. And the Patriots have, between their tight ends and their wide receivers, uh, you know, $64 million. It's insane, like how much they've spent. But when you look at just, you know, the wide receiver room and the pass catcher room in general, um, Patriots are at the top. Uh, you're looking at the Jaguars as well. And this, again, goes with wide receivers and tight ends. And I'm just scanning it up and down here. Um, Buccaneers are up there. Uh, the Jets are up there. I mean, you know, these are teams that are spending a ton uh, on their wide receiver room or their pass catching room. And that, to me, is very much a, a indication that uh, you're willing to spend a lot of money on wide receivers because it's become a passing lead. But I would tell you, again, the teams that lead in passing don't always make the playoffs. Let's look at these numbers. So the passing yardage scenario, Cowboy, Buccaneers, Cowboys, Chargers, Chiefs, Rams, Raiders, Bengals, Packers, Bills, Cardinals all in the top 10. Um, Chargers missed the playoffs. Everybody else made. Uh, and, and you can look and find some anomalies, like the 49ers made the playoffs and they went to the NFC Championship game. They were a middle-of-the-road team. Pittsburgh Steelers made the playoffs. They were a middle-of-the-road team. Uh, Tennessee Titans made the playoffs. They were in the bottom third of the league. Eagles made the playoffs. They were in the bottom third of the league. Um, so you can find anomalies like that with passing, I think, more than you can with running. And to me, that's where it feels like it's almost – I don't like spending a lot of money on wide receivers. I don't know that it's a recipe for success. Uh, on the offensive line, teams that spend the most there, and I, I wonder why there's not more of a correlation here. Um, but Lions, Eagles, Ravens, Colts, Cardinals are your top five. Of those top five, you'd have to feel like 80% of them, four out of the five are going to make the playoffs. And everybody would naturally say the Lions are the team that's not going to. But the Lions spent a ton on their offensive line. Why? Because it's step one in turning things around. Uh, Jets are also in the top 10, along with the Buccaneers, Broncos, Cowboys, and Texans. Now, here's the thing. The Buccaneers spent a ton, but they also had two major injuries already on the offensive line. So let's see how that works out. But the Broncos have spent a lot on their offensive line. They're going to be a very run-heavy team, and I think they'll make the playoffs. So um, 
just coincidentally, the Falcons, uh, middle of the road on what they spent on their offensive line. But a lot of that comes from Jake Matthews and the fact that you got Caleb McGarry and Chris Lindstrom making more money this year um, when those guys are finishing out next year will be the end of their their rookie deals. So, uh, well, McGarry didn't get picked up, but, but Lindstrom did. So uh, that's just the offensive side of the ball. Tomorrow I'd like to come back and do the defense and look at some of the correlations there and what that works out to. But I always find this stuff interesting looking at the um, – looking at how teams spend their cap and if it can net to some sort of correlation to being able to make the postseason. All right, coming up next, speaking of postseason, Georgia expects to be back in the college football playoffs. Step one, a very tough Oregon team, and maybe the tough test of any team in week one. That's coming up right here on A to Z on Locked On Sports Atlanta, free on YouTube and wherever you get your podcast search, Locked On Sports Atlanta. Welcome back to A to Z here on Locked On Sports Atlanta, free on YouTube and wherever you get your podcast search, Locked On Sports Atlanta. Wrapping things up here. On this Wednesday, before we get to Georgia, Oregon, let's get to a shovel of wisdom. Brace yourselves, because it's time for the shovel of wisdom. Yeah, you know how we do it every day. We got to whack somebody up. So I had set him straight for saying or doing something stupid. We'll do so right here. On A to Z, you can do so on my Twitter account, at Mark Zinno, M-A-R-K-Z-I-N-N-O, and use the hashtag Shovel of Wisdom. And today, my shovel goes to Adrian Johnson. Well, you might not know who Adrian Johnson is because you really don't want to know who Adrian Johnson is. He's an umpire. And you never want to know umpires' names. Names like, oh, I don't know, Angel Hernandez, because he's terrible. Well, last night in the Giants-Padres game, um, there was a... Uh, call it first place on a double play ball that was missed and needed to be reviewed. And so uh, I'm actually going to play for you the 30 seconds of audio because there is a lot to unpack here. The aforementioned Angel Hernandez even gets a shout out because after the up at first base, it's a double play ball. Brandon Drury hits a, a, a ground ball to short. They try to turn the double play. Drury beats it out. And so instead of an ending, ending double play, the inning goes on, but yet they had to go and review it. And as they're going to review it, umpire Adrian Hernandez forgets that his mic is on and says a dirty word. Take a listen. Plus, you'll hear the fan yell as Angel Hernandez on the field, you know, taking his name in vain as well. Okay, so that's Johnson turning on the mic. <laughs> and now they're doing the review. And he clearly beats it. And here comes Adrian Johnson again. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Nothing like a hot mic little expletive there. Good job, Adrian Johnson. We're proud of you. We love you. Keep up the good work. It's happened to the best of us. I mean, one time, one time I accidentally slipped and said that word on air. One time in like nearly, oh God, going on two decades now of being in this business uh, of, of me letting one slip on air on live mic. Yeah. So other than that, for whatever reason, like never happens. Of course you get a hot mic. That's a problem. That's happened to me before too. I was talking to somebody else and the producer forgot to turn my mic off and, say a dirty word and you have to get you get in trouble for that like there's there's 
in reality, we say this all the time to people in this business, you're responsible for what comes out of your mouth in front of a microphone. So if you don't know that and you've been in this business a long time, well, you should know it. Speaking of being in business for a long time, that's what Kirby Smart has done uh, against Dan Lanning uh, in Oregon. Uh, Kirby Smart trying to defend his national championship uh, and put Georgia back in the college football playoff again. You know, in reality, I think out of all of the week one big marquee games, Georgia may have the toughest and most legitimate opponent, not only by like rank standards, uh, because, well, again, uh, Ohio State's going to play Notre Dame, but they're going to smoke Notre Dame. Uh, just write that down, folks. They're absolutely going to smoke it. But beyond that, um, I think Oregon is probably the team that is likely to be in the top 10 all season long, more so than anybody else. I know Florida and Utah are getting together, but I don't think Florida is going to be very good. Uh, and, you know, I look at uh, some of the other marquee matchups. I think this is the toughest one of week one for any team. You know, it just is. Um, and how does Kirby Smart approach these matchups? Well, and you could argue, by the way, that things are now different because of winning a national title. But, you know, Kirby tends to generally stay very, very conservative early on in games and early on in the season. It's not a guy that takes a lot of huge shots, right? Um, and go back to last year in the opener against Clemson. Now, Clemson turned out actually had a much better defense than Oregon will this year. I think Oregon's defense will be okay. I think it'll be good. They'll be Pac-12 good. I don't know if they're going to be great. Um, Clemson's defense last year for all the problems that they had was great. But in that game, uh, in the opener, they only passed for 135 yards. Now, granted, that was JT Daniels doing it. Um, but 22 of 30 for 135 yards, only averaging 4.5 yards a pass. Now, is that a, a, um, a sign of play calling? Maybe. But they also had 31 rushing attempts for 121 yards. I mean, the balance is great there, and it should be. And you're playing against a tough defense, uh, and it was a low-scoring game overall. But I think it just speaks to the fact that in early on in games, when you watch, if you look at the run-pass split, Kirby tends to skew heavily run. That's okay. I don't think it's a bad thing, but that's why I just kind of feel like this game will be probably a little bit closer than most people think. Georgia's favored by 18, 18 and a half, whatever it may be. Um, and I, I genuinely do like Oregon. I like Oregon to cover the number because it's one of those deals where uh, Kirby Smart just repeatedly in the beginning of years will play conservative. He'll give his offense time to open up as it goes along. And I think that's really telling of, you know, Kirby's style and what he wants to do. Again, you can go back to uh, the 2020 schedule. Granted, it was a COVID year. Um, but, you know, that's a game where in, against Arkansas, they end up throwing 47 passes. I mean, they won 37 to 10, but they also rushed the ball 42 times. Like Kirby is never going to get that much out of balance especially against tough opponents. Now, Felipe Frank's quarterback that game. Now he's in Atlanta. Weird. Yeah, and you just go back and you look at how he handles things. It, it's never going to be out of whack, and I think that's what's going to keep this game closer. I certainly think Georgia ends up winning this thing. 
And I think they win it fairly handily. I don't think they'll, when I say fairly handily, I don't think they'll sweat. I don't think they'll ever be in danger of losing a lead. They'll keep a one score lead the entire game uh, or a plus more than one score, you know, eight, eight, 10 point lead. But I don't expect them to be up by 30 at any point in time. If they do, it's because somehow Oregon got, you know, they scored four touchdowns in the first half and they're down 28 to three. Like that's how this game gets out of hand um, for Oregon. But I don't think Dan Lanning lets it get out of hand. And as I've said repeatedly, I don't think that um, that Kirby is going to run it up against his former assistant. They get a 28-3 to lead, something like that. He'll come out in the second half, run, 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 that's it. Run, 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 that's it. And if the run is working, he's going to stay with it. If you can't stop the run, that's a you problem. You don't have to pass in those spots. So, you know, I, I expect it to be a slower, lower-scoring game, but I certainly expect Georgia to win. I just like Oregon to cover. All right, that'll do it for us here on this Wednesday edition of A to Z. Check out all the great shows on the Locked On Sports Network. This is A to Z, of course. Check out Hitting Hard with John Chuckery as your second listen every single day right here on Locked On Sports Atlanta. Back tomorrow for a Thursday show. You guys have a great day. Don't take any crap from anybody. See ya. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. 